You guys get a little preview because you're here today. But even, I'll, I'll talk a tiny bit about it again on Sunday. But I met with a pastor today in the, in the Denver metro area. And people that have lived here a long time, Cherry Hills Community Church. Very structured, very, all that. Well, they have a new pastor that's been there for a few years now. And I saw him at Bridgeway a while back. He spoke at a pastor's thing they were doing one morning. And uh, so they're just like ultra-conservative, borderline religious, very, it was a kind of like a Presbyterian mindset. And he came in and he was saying one of those crazy prayers that you really shouldn't say unless you really mean it. And you just kind of start saying stuff like, God, have your way. And so they, they have, you know, it's, it's, a very, it's a large church. It's a very wealthy church. People have built stuff on the property and stuff just the way they wanted it. And so when he uh, started asking for that, just during worship, people started spontaneously getting healed and started getting a little bit more excited than you probably should in church. But I heard today that now between all of their services, uh, I think in the last two months, they've baptized 2,000. (laughs) It was only like two or three months, they've baptized 2,000. Every single service they have at the church, the baptismal has to be full, no matter what day of the week it is, they're doing 30... 40 people a day, every service. So like on Sunday, I know they have multiple services. Every service, they're baptizing people, and they're just having trouble keeping up on the baptisms. And what he did was he went in, and the first thing he did is out of the several thousand people they had, he got them all saved. Because a lot of people, truthfully, have been going there for years and sitting in a pew, but they really didn't know what they knew. And then they knew, and then what happened was once they knew... This revival broke out. Why? Is because they went and told their co-workers and they went and told their neighbors and they went and told their family friends. And guess what? They all started coming to church and they got saved. And then, So after he got everybody in the church baptized, then they started bringing all their friends and all their neighbors in. And so it's a, uh, it's a different kind. I mean, it really is a full-out revival, but it's a different kind of revival than what a lot of people wouldn't call that a revival. But you know what? It is a revival because you know what? People are being revived. And it, was, it just came from uh, letting Holy Spirit be who he is. Hang on here. My iPad messenger thing here is going crazy. So I got to turn off the notifications so it doesn't continue to do so. And so I, I just want to encourage everybody that we need to let God be God. I know that that God is going to. Uh, he already is breaking out all over. I was on a conference call this week with uh, all the Catch the Fire senior pastors in the world. We do it once a month. And on that call, uh, just hearing about the things that God is doing now in different parts of the world, there's another group of people that want us to come to Iceland and minister there with the Vikings. They kind of all look like Vikings. All of them have big beards and they're all tattooed up. But God is breaking out in Iceland. And what was kind of ironic to me was, Lane just asked me the other day, he goes, God's really been speaking to me about Iceland. Do we know anybody there? And I said, well, yeah, we just met some people there. And then they were on the call and they're just talking about how God just supernaturally just started showing up in all these meetings in extraordinary ways that he never has before 
and they didn't have a lot of time to go into detail, but God just started showing up in their church in ways they never had before, and now people are flocking into the church, and, you know, God is, God, God is on the move, and uh, there was a discussion, how many people heard about the Bob Jones, when the Chiefs win, then revival is going to break out? Well, there's a lot of little things that I never realized is, A, how long ago he said it. B, is the coach, and I haven't been watching any football since they started kneeling personally. Sorry, Dom. But that that was, even though it happened on 02-02-2020, that was that coach's 222nd professional win. They haven't won in 50 years, I think it said. So 50 years, and all of a sudden all that happened. And so uh, it was actually a Canadian, Dan from Toronto, that was teaching. And what he brought out was that people are getting all wound up about the whole football thing. But he goes, you got to go back and listen to the actual word-for-word prophetic word, not the excerpts. And it said something to the effect of, I don't have it right here because I wasn't going to be talking about it, but it just says that when they win, chiefs will rise up. Well, guess what? We're all kings and priests. And so he started talking about when David cried out, And David cried out and said, how do we move the ark? How do we move the ark? Because everything they were trying wasn't working. How do we move the ark? The ark represents the presence of God. So he's saying, how do we transport the presence? The only people that could transport the presence were the chief priests and the Levites. Well, guess what? We're now the carriers We're the carriers of the presence of God. In the Old Testament, I never really thought about this, but in the Old Testament, wherever the presence of God was, there was no problems. I mean, as far as, they always had issues, but the issues were their own. But the fact is, like when the children of Israel were out in the wilderness, no matter how bent out of shape they got, no matter what happened, the presence of God was with them. And you know what? Even when they were upset with Moses, even when they were upset with God, when the presence of God moved, guess what? They all orderly packed up, they got in the line where they were supposed to get, and even if they grumbled all the way there, they moved with the presence of God. And so when you read through the scripture, you know what? You can have the blessing of God and not have the presence of God. You can be blessed by God and not have the presence of God. But when you have the presence of God, you're always going to be blessed. And the church today has been walking in blessings, lots of them, because God is still going to bless his word. God is still going to bless what he said. God, you can go out and you can preach the gospel and people are going to get saved. Why? Because you're reading the word of God and it's going to cut to people's hearts. It's still going to set them free. But if they don't have the presence of the living God, they're not going to walk in the fullness of the blessings that are available to them. Because there's some blessings that are only going to come in his presence. And the children of Israel had the presence of God with them day and night, night and day, for that whole entire time from when they left Egypt all the way through. They had the presence of God all the way through until they went into the promised land. But you know what? When they went in the promised land, when they went away from the presence of God, the blessing of God was still there because he had promised them the land. But when they got away from the presence of God, when they got away from the ark, Lots of them went astray, and lots of crazy things happened. So I don't have the whole answer, but i got to tell you is that when we rise up and we become the chief priests we're called to be, and we're carrying the presence, I want to tell you, there's nothing that can stand. There's nothing that's going to stand in our way. And I think there's so much more to that prophetic word because it had really nothing to do with football. It has to do with a sign that makes you wonder. 
And living in Colorado, I wonder how the Chiefs won. <laughs> I don't know. We need to be walking with the presence of God. And you know what? We need to be focusing on the presence of God, not on what's going on around us. Because when we're in the presence of God, the things going around us kind of just wane off. They, they kind of just run off. And you know what? Think about Isaiah when he got caught up to the throne room and stood in the very presence of God. What did he do? He fell down. He wasn't worried about what he went there for. He wasn't worried about what he was praying for. He wasn't even worried about what he was seeking for. And actually, when you look, by the time he got there, he wasn't requesting anything. Was he? Go through every time in the scripture where somebody was caught up to heaven. They weren't worried. You know, they didn't go, well, did Adam and Eve marry their, did Adam and Eve's kids marry their sisters? You know? Where did Enoch really go and what did he really do in order to... When they actually got there, there was none of those questions. (laughs) When they actually got there, the splendor of God was so great. And I want to tell you is, that's just a little snippet that God gives us multiple times through the Scripture. Gives it to us in the Old Testament and gives it to us all the way into the book of Revelation. And so when we're in the presence of God, you've got to realize that all those things are going to pass away, all those troubles, all those struggles. It doesn't mean that we stay in the troubles. It doesn't mean, you know, if you're in financial trouble, just being in the presence of God, you're not going to step out and all of a sudden have $4 million in your bank account necessarily. But I've got to tell you is the whole weight of that goes away. The all-consuming weight of what's going on in our lives. The all-consuming weight of sickness, of anger, of emotional things, of relationship things. All those things go away in the presence of God. And the awesome part is, is just like we've been learning, we are the carriers of the presence. We are the ark. Where we go, he goes. So there's nothing for us to be afraid of. There's nothing that can stop us. Talking to my friend today, he goes, I'm just afraid if we grow anymore, we don't have enough parking places and there's no place to have parking places and we'd have to get a bus and bring people in from that far. And I was... When you, have, when you have somebody that thinks that way, it was just one of those things where you have to stop and say, you know what, if God is going to bring you 500 more people, he's either going to provide a building or he's going to provide a bus or he's going to provide the finances to take care of the situation because God isn't going to lead you. But the fact is, you can't stop because you can't see the provision. You just keep going until you see the provision manifest in your life. If God's speaking to you to go to Africa with us, as long as you have a passport already, there's nothing really stopping you, and you're going to know that you're not supposed to go if God doesn't provide the finances. But if you're going to stand there and you're going to wait and say, God, when I get all that money in the bank, then I'm going to go. It's, it's taking that step. It's stepping out of the boat. It's starting to walk in that way and say, God, you just put that on my heart. When that was shared tonight, Boom, it just blew up inside me, and I know I'm supposed to go, so show me how that's going to happen. And those of you that have been with me to Asia, we were just talking. They were saying, well, how many meetings do you want to do a day? I said, as many as they want us to. Well, you know, they have a K-12 through school. We can speak every single day at the school and do an assembly. Okay. And then when at night we can do so, okay. And then during the day we can go meet with pastors, okay. Because you know what? We're there to bring the kingdom. And I checked, we can't pet the lions and we can't ride the zebras. But. Unless you're really brave. We can go there and do like a real Daniel demonstration. 
And you're going to play Daniel since you're going? Oh. Well, I got to be the narrator, so. <laughs> so Holy Spirit, he's the spirit of encouragement. You know what? If you're hearing things and they're not encouraging, they're not Holy Spirit. If there's not an encouraging tone, he's not there to condemn us. He's there to encourage us. He's there to reveal to us. He's there to lead us. He's there to guide us. And you can't guide somebody if you hold them down. You can't guide somebody. As we pray to build ourselves up in the most holy faith, making spiritual progress, and as we pray in tongues or in the Spirit, when we pray and we're doing spirit-inspired intercession, all discouragement, all depression, all downheartedness just goes away. That's what it talks about in the book of Jude. Praying in the spirit or tongues settles all these things and so many more. The awesome thing about praying in, in the Spirit is that when you pray in the Spirit, it's Spirit to Spirit. And so God has given you utterance to take care of what, not what we think is wrong, not what we think the problem is, not the fruit, not the leaves, not the branches. God is going right to the root. And He's waiting for us to speak it, and He's waiting for us when we speak out things guess what it's going to happen and it's especially going to happen when we're praying in tongues because when we're praying in tongues then god already knows what the actual root is and we don't even have to wonder we don't have to hypothesize we don't have to have any fear we don't have to have any discouragement there doesn't even have to be any portion of doubt in our mind that what we're praying is going to happen And you know what? That's why the enemy fights that gift of the Spirit, tooth and nail. That's why probably 80 or 90% of Christians think that that's of the devil. Why? Because they believed a lie. Why? Because it's one of our most powerful weapons given to us by God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the true baptism of the Holy Spirit, not what we receive at salvation, is so crucial to move into all God has for you. We're going to have to get this lady a straitjacket before she jumps out of her skin. I don't know how to put people back in their skin. <laughs> duct tape and bailing wire, that's what my grandpa said. You can fix anything with duct tape and bailing wire. Next to the gift of salvation and the baptism of the Spirit and the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit, it's the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit is so paramount throughout the whole entire New Testament. It's the most crucial thing in the New Testament. It's the one thing that came after Jesus' death. It's the thing He told Him. You need to wait for this to happen. When this happens, everything around you is going to change. The atmosphere is going to shift. <laughs> you know, the mountains are going to be cast into the sea. And I think sometimes we minimize because our picture of what is said isn't what we actually see, but I, we don't realize what's really happening in the spiritual realm. You don't realize until things start to happen. You don't realize until when you're at your lowest faith and you pray for somebody and they instantly get healed. When that happens, then all of a sudden, you have a no, whole new perspective. The first time we went with Randy Clark and we went to Singapore, it was grueling. I mean, it was like nonstop. 10,000 people, and every time they had an altar call, I think there was 32 of us, 
and 10,000 people, 8,000 of them would come forward for prayer, and there were 32 of us to pray for them. And unlike people around here, you can't spend 15 minutes with one person because the line went all the way back as far as you could see. And I was tall enough to see the back of the line because everybody's only this tall. <laughs> but what you don't realize is there's so many people. And so it was great. It was awesome. And then in the back behind the stage, they had this little room set up. And like in between while the next person was preaching... You could go back and get a snack and drink something and lay down on the floor. <laughs> Why? Because you knew when they got done with their hour message that it all started over again. And the great part was, is you didn't even have to know the language because as people were coming forward, you could pray for them, whatever God told you to, and all of a sudden, through the interpreter, you find out that what you were saying was already true. So to us it was English, to them it was tongues, for a lot of people. But one day we came back from lunch, and I was beat. It was in the afternoon, and in the evening, before the evening service, an hour before, they let people come in that were certified sick. Like they had doctors looking at them, and they had a name tag, and they had a special badge, and the doctor signed. They'd bring their medical records, and he would make sure that they really had what they said they had. And then if you prayed for them and they claimed they got healed, you put an X on this little star on there and they had to go back and see the same doctor that saw them. And after that doctor re-examined them, then and only then could they actually share a testimony that they'd been healed. Them Singaporeans have it down. So we came in this one night and I was dragging, but I also knew... You know, I like to just stand in front of a section and they were kind of putting people by language because they had interpreters at the end of the row and so they'd put people of one language here, people of one language there. And so I went in and I like to just kind of look around and I figure out who God is going to touch. And I wasn't into going down a row. You just find somebody who I know that God is going to touch at that moment. You make your way down the row. People are upset because you passed them by and they're trying to speak to you and they can't speak. But you make your way down the row and you pray for that person and the minute they get healed, people all around them start getting healed and people in the other rows start getting healed. Why? Because their faith rises out. And when their faith rises out, people start getting healed all around them and it really makes your work easy. You pray for one and you get six or seven or eight. And so I just have this way that I was doing it and it was working phenomenal. And so when we walk in, this lady goes, you've got to pray for my dad. And I was like, well, just wait. But she grabbed a hold of my arm and she wouldn't let me go. And I was saying to my dad, but I have this way I do it and I'm just going to see who God wants me to pray for. No, you're going to pray for my dad. And so she made it very, very clear, both physically and verbally, that I was going to pray for her father. So finally, when I realized that I was going to be handcuffed to this lady, until I went and prayed for her father. I relented and I said, okay, I'll go pray for your father. Well, there's rows and rows and rows and sections and sections. She drags me over to the corner where everybody is in wheelchairs that are like quadriplegics and aren't talking and... I'm thinking to myself, this is not where I want to be. I mean, it's nothing against that, but God didn't draw me here, and so I don't want to spend all day praying for somebody that's not going to have a wheelchair when I can start praying for people and people can still get healed. I mean, I'm just telling you what I was thinking at that moment in time is, I don't want to get caught here. We only have an hour and a half, and I want to see as many people because there's like 300, 400 people in there to be prayed for. And so I want to get more bang for my buck. Right? So I start praying for him. And he had gotten a degenerative disease in his legs where his muscles were eating themselves. And he had just retired. And this just came on suddenly. And I forget, it had been like less than a year. He went from a totally healthy man to not even be able to stand. 
So she was adamant. I got down on my knees and I started praying for him and I honestly just wanted to move over to the other section and find out who I was going to go pray for. That's really where my mind was. So I was just going through the motions and as I was going through the motions, you know, he said he felt a little tingling in his legs and so I said, do you want to stand up? And then she's like, no! And she gets in between us. You can't have him stand up. When he stands up, somebody has to pull out the chair and we have to sit him down on the bed immediately because he can't hold his weight. And I'm thinking to myself, you wanted me to pray for him. You want to see him walk and now you won't let him stand up. Well, he was adamant. He wanted to stand up. So she's holding the chair and she's giving me eyes. Like, I can't believe you're doing this to my father. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, you drug me over here, lady. <laughs> well, he stands up. And he's shaking, and, but he's standing. And I don't know, it probably seemed like 10 minutes, but she said he could only stand for about two seconds. And so it was probably only really about 30, 45 seconds. And now he's standing, and now she's saying, sit down, Dad, sit down, Dad, sit down, Dad. And we're standing there holding hands, and we're looking at each other. His name happened to be Steve. <laughs> he was a full-on Roman Catholic. Didn't know why she brought him to this charismatic, crazy room anyway, but he didn't have any choice because she was pushing the wheelchair. <laughs> well, guess what? We're in a room that seats 10,000 people. There's 10,000 chairs plus a stage. And so I didn't know what else to do. Now he's standing. He was refusing to sit. So I said, take a step. And now his daughter's screaming at me and screaming at him. And he takes a step. Well, we end up walking all the way from the very back corner, all the way to the front, across the front of the stage. Now people that are starting to fill in the chairs are now cheering. We walk all the way to the back. By the time we make it back to his chair, he's not even holding onto my hands anymore. And then he grabs his chair and he pushes it all the way to the front row and he sits down on the front row. After you see something like that happen before your very eyes, you know, I checked his little star and then a few minutes later, he's walking up the steps on the stage sharing a testimony about what just happened. See, it's the power of God within us. It's, it's having that within us. It's not what we say, it's just being there and just saying what God tells us to say. It's not listening to everybody around you. I thought it was kind of ironic that the very person who drug me over there is the very person that didn't want to, was trying to hinder what was happening. But they were so persistent and I was so reluctant and yet God still did this phenomenal thing. he came back to the next session the next day and guess what he didn't have a wheelchair anymore he was walking and he goes I'm coming to your church tomorrow and I said well I brought it up on Google it's like 6,500 miles and we'll be in Singapore <laughs> I said what you need to do is go back to your Catholic church everybody knows the situation you've been in they've been praying they've been doing Hail Marys they've been They've been lighting candles. They've been doing all the stuff they were told to do. Go back, stand up, share your testimony, and just command over everybody else in that congregation that the same thing you receive, they can receive at that moment. He stayed in touch with me for quite a while, but he didn't go back to the wheelchair. The doctors weren't sure what happened. See, it's Christ within us. It's the hope of glory. Jesus said, go into that upper room. It doesn't matter that you walked with me. It doesn't matter that you talked with me. It doesn't matter what you saw. And it doesn't even really matter what you've already done. All that wasn't even the appetizer. That was the flour that was left out on the counter <laughs> after the great wedding cake was baked. It, it's... It's just the dust. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, great things are going to happen. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
Sickness is going to flee. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be set free. And you're going to do greater things than I've done. That's what he said. Well, think about that. He raised the dead. He walked on the water. He commanded the storm. He cast out demons. He read people's mail. He set all the religious leaders that came up against him, he set them straight in all their doctrine without being rude or mean about it. Well, he wasn't rude or mean. He just said, here's what it really says. Maybe they weren't happy, but it wasn't attacking. He didn't do like we do today. If you do that, you're going to hell. You're going to burn forever. You're all heretics. You're all of the devil. Guess he did tell some of them you were vipers. <laughs> See, the new, the new Testament initiated a new species of people, filled with the power and separated from the world to live in righteousness and holiness. His presence in his work, it can't be hidden just within us so we feel good. At the salvation moment, maybe we feel okay. But it, it isn't just for us. It isn't even for that at all. We just get the first drop in the bucket, but he wants to flow out of us. He wants us to be an elbow, not a reservoir. He just doesn't want to fill us so it comes out the top and goes down. He wants to fill us and he wants it to come out of us and affect all the people around us. That's what I love today about that testimony about Cherry Creek Community Churches. People that have been sitting in the pews for 13 years get saved, and the next thing you know, their families and their friends. And you know what happens when that happens at the magnitude it happened? They're experiencing that right now. What are we going to do with all these people? Well, we're just going to keep baptizing them. We're, you know. It's exciting. It's exciting. See, John the Baptist was born to godly, righteous, blameless parents. People who prayed, people who were walking in the very ways of the Lord to the absolute best of their ability. When you read about his parents, they weren't wishy-washy. They weren't on the fence. They were doing everything humanly possible that they thought that they could do to follow God. His father was the high priest, but his mother was barren. Just think what people thought. Just think about how many cultures. And in Israel, that, that was still a very, very big thing. If you were barren, you were cursed. You sinned. You did something wrong or your parents did something wrong. And that's why God is punishing you. So just think about, you have this woman who is married to the high priest. The one who is serving before the very presence of the Lord and his wife is barren. When you show up that day, you go, that's not the priest I want to take in my stuff. I'm sure there's people that really thought that. But yet, they were still faithful and they still believed God. And then we all know the story. I mean, the angel appears before the chief priest. And they start having a conversation. But then you can tell what comes out from within him. What comes out from within him is, yeah, if what you're saying is true, but, you know, he's thinking about, look at my wife. This can't. Uh, you were doing good up to that point, and we're not going to let you, we're going to take away the shovel. You're not going to dig the hole any deeper. You know, the sad part is, is that if God did that to us today, we would have a church full of mutes. 
We would. You'd show up to church every day, everybody would be like. <laughs> Had to preach the sermon via slides. Audio Bible book so you can read it. John Scorsese. In the beginning. See, his presence and his work cannot be hidden. When the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah, he gave him precise instructions about his son, who he was going to be, and what he was going to do. And then Zechariah didn't do what God said. I mean, he started questioning what God was saying. How many times do we question what God is saying because of our circumstances? How many times do we question what God is saying because of our finances, because of where we live, because of what we know, because of what we understand, because of who we are, because of who our parents were, because of how people have treated us, because of what people have said about us. Zechariah just looked at his real true circumstances, which are a fact. His wife was barren. I want you to know that God can bypass and override any physical limitations you have. He can bypass and override your age. He can bypass and override any situation you're facing. As long as we follow his instructions. It's a two-edged sword. Don't be a Zechariah, but be a Zechariah. <laughs> Follow hard after God, but when he says something, be willing to actually do it. And not question it. Think about Zechariah is, he got silenced at that moment, but as it went on, how many times that you know he wanted to share how many times as he saw that his wife was really pregnant? How about when his wife came and said, Mary came and, and John started jumping up and down and he was punching and I could see his fist in his feet because he was dancing before the king of kings. I mean, it doesn't really tell us, but I don't think it was a minor when it said he was leaping in her womb. I think it was quite aerobics class. Why? Because John knew at that moment. And Elizabeth is telling Zachariah, and he's like... <laughs> He'd given his whole life to serve God, and as the greatest thing in history was taking place right before his very eyes... He couldn't share. And as part of that event, really one of the, you know, Jesus was the most important, but John was the forerunner. In that situation, in that scriptural context, he was number two, but he was actually breaking the way. He was the, he was the snowplow, he was the icebreaker for the one who was coming. And here was Zechariah, the chief priest, who had taught on it and taught on it and taught on it. And now it's actually happening to the barren wife, which when you were barren, that meant that you could never be God's chosen one because you weren't going to bring forth a child. Because all the Israeli women at that time, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be pregnant, and they wanted it to be a boy, and they wanted it to be the Messiah. But to actually be told by a live angel in the temple that your wife is carrying the forerunner, that's like the greatest second place you could ever have, and yet he couldn't tell anybody. 
don't do that. I'm just saying, don't do that. Don't sell yourself short. Don't, don't succumb to circumstances. Don't let anything keep you from walking into the fullness that God has said that you're supposed to do. He's greater than anything. Remember, God can bypass and override any limitation. Never box God into our natural situation because he's a supernatural God. One of my key things is when people start questioning me about how does God do that? I said, I don't know. He spoke and put all the stars in the sky. When you can start explaining that to me, we'll talk about some of this prophecy stuff because... (laughs) When you tell me how he, he got down in the dirt and he formed man and then he just breathed in and he stood up and he was flesh and had all his organs, when you can even begin to start explaining that to me, then we'll talk about whether this prophecy, what it meant. Because I don't have to know all those things unless God wants to reveal them to me. And that's not saying don't study. It's saying is that We need to worry about Christ within us. We need to worry about the Holy Spirit. We need to worry about what God is saying and not necessarily how he's doing it. Because how he's going to do it, we're never going to have a full understanding anyway. And so why let that hinder us from walking in the fullness? Do not run your life by the clock, by the coin, by the calendar, or by its circumstances. If any of those seas are running your life, you're out of control. You are. Hmm? You have to drink some Holy Spirit WD-40 and... Luke 1.15 said, He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Let's talk about John. Let's talk about you, John. Sharon was shaking her head and he was just looking down. But, see, it said he would be filled, not just visited. See, these are the works of the Lord. Being the first spirit-filled baby, John had a head start on all of us. John was truly a forerunner, not only for Jesus, but for each and every one of us. Now I want you to think about this. If God told you, I want you just to eat grasshoppers and wear fur and go stand out in the streets and start telling people that the kingdom is at hand, I mean, we can all stand here and shake our head, but I guarantee you, out of everybody shaking their head, probably only one in a thousand would do it, and they wouldn't keep doing it for years. (laughs) Right? We want revival, right? We want revival, but just think about the Azusa Street. He said, all right, just put this out. They're just going to sing and don't take it off until I tell you it's time to take it off. That's what God told William Seymour. Just sit right there in the front row in front of everybody with an old wooden apple crate over your head. God, I'm not going to do this anymore. God never showed up in the building again. 
Just read the stories. It's crazy. There's a book called They Told Us His They Told Us Their Stories. And it's about all the children that grew up at Azusa Street. And they would play hide and seek by popping up like little gophers on top of the pews and they'd look around and see where each other were and then they would duck down and they'd run through the glory cloud and try to find each other because it's so thick it was like a fog in there. How irreverent why church is going on, especially something like that. But you just read about the crazy stuff they saw and they were just kids and they didn't know what to do. See, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, He's going to give you a head start on the rest of the pack. He's going to release you into a race with great focus and great intensity and intentionality. That's what He wants us to do. See, a lot of people say that John the Baptist wasn't even filled with the, the Spirit the same way we are. Because he didn't do any miracles. He didn't operate in any of the gifts. It doesn't say John went around healing all the sick. It doesn't say that he fed the people. He doesn't say, what did John do? I'm just saying is that, that he didn't do all the things that we look at. He wasn't doing the things the disciples did. See, he didn't fit in the charismatic mold we had today. That's what I found interesting about my conversation today. There's all these churches that are experiencing revival, but it's not revival like we think revival is. And to be honest, to be really, really honest, is today when we were sitting there talking, when I think about revival, I think about Lakeland, I think about Brownsville, I think about the Welsh revival, I think about all these revivals I read about where craziness starts stores are closed down people are coming every night of the week you have to lock the doors to keep people out i'm thinking about the first time we went to when we were in thailand and bangkok and we went to go see uh joshua mills and we showed up and guess what his plane never came in, so they had somebody else preach. And we were in this church right in the middle of the red light district. And next thing you know, the church is like so full and you're in Thailand and it's a Thai church and they have no air conditioning. And the next thing they do is they put two by fours over the doors because they can't let any more people in. But they also can't breathe in there. So they have to stop the people from coming in the church. And I don't think they have fire codes over there like we have. I guess not when the wires are running down the face of the wall. Is that revival? Is what happened in Lakeland revival? Is what happened in Brownsville revival? Is what happened in Toronto revival? I mean, people are falling down, crazy stuff's happening. But what happened at Cherry Hills Community? Is that revival? It's not the utter craziness. But yet people are being saved, they're being discipled, they're being released, and they're going out and they're bringing in more people who are being saved or are being... See, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit, but he wasn't manifesting in the ways that we think today. And I'm just sharing that because we need to get in our minds that... God is a supernatural God and he's not going to do stuff the way we do it. If we can explain what happened, I guarantee you it's not God. And I mean it's not God in the supernatural sense. Why? Because I really believe and I know for a fact that God can give a doctor the way to mix up a compound to give to you to heal a disease. 
So I can't say that's not a miracle. I can't say that's not God. But in the same breath, God can also replace your organ and not have to ever have a surgeon touch you. But yet he can gift a surgeon to do the same thing surgically. And so however God wants to do it, I don't care how God does stuff. I just want to be used by him in the way he wants me to be used. And the only way we do that is by listening to the Holy Spirit and following after, and we got to quit categorizing everything, and we just need to do what God's called us to do and where he's called us to do. We need to stay in our lane, and we need to drive our own car, and we don't need to worry about what everybody else around us is doing. We need to be our puzzle piece in the big puzzle, and as we do that, great things happen. I mean, I'm so inspired that when people have been sitting in the pew for 12 years and they get saved and the next thing you know, their whole family's been saved. How many times, I just think in my mind, in that religious mindset, how many times had those parents or those grandparents been praying for their sons and daughters, but yet they were never sharing with them the hope. They were never sharing with them. And for years, that probably happened. And then you know what? Then they're sitting at the very church that they've been a part of, that they've been integrated, that they maybe were deacons or elders, or maybe they served on all these boards. And the next thing you know, they have a saving knowledge of Jesus. And they go back to the same person they've been preaching and praying for for years, and they just have to share. And with one excitement voice, it jumps off of them and into them, and now they want a piece of what they just had. And then I just stop and think of how many meals they missed that they didn't have to miss. How many times they spent crying out for something that God was trying to do. And the way he was trying to do it was just telling them to be who he called them to be and not quit telling him what he needed to do. God, I was thinking about how many meals and how much time they spent trying to tell God what he needed to do when they just needed to be who he called them to be and just release what he called them to release out of them. It's not a formula. It's not a formula. It's a living God that lives within us that wants to come out and touch people. And I guarantee you, there are people that are touched intellectually. There are people that are touched by knowing the facts. But I got to tell you is, that's only a section of people. There are people that are touched by touch. There are people that are touched by compassion. There are people that are touched by mercy. There's people that are touched by just meeting their needs. We need to be listening to what God is saying and we just need to do what he says. How many times have we never wanted to, have we not wanted to give money to a guy holding a sign or somebody begging for food? Why? Because we know they're just going to go out and buy a drink. But if God tells you to do it, are you still just going to walk by? One year when we were poor youth pastors, and I don't even know how our bills ever made it, we had $120. And we were going to the mall to buy our son some Christmas presents. And outside the mall, there was a father and his little girl, and they had a sign at Westminster Mall, and he said, we'll work for food. They said they were living in their car. And so I just really felt like God say, and I had, a, I had my own business at that time, and I just really felt like God said, give him everything you have, and then tell him he can come to work tomorrow. So I did. 
And he never called me, and the next day he was still out there with the same sign. Well, the next day I had a little boy, he didn't have a little girl. And then at first I was all upset, but you know what? When I got upset, I really felt like God said, you did what I told you to do. He didn't do what I told him to do. And so then we can get all upset and say, we're never going to do that again. But through a whole series of events, God ended up blessing us, and we ended up with way more than that $120 at Christmas time, which wasn't even the whole focus, but the fact is we were going there to do one thing, and then God said to do something else. And the next day, immediately when you see it, I felt like I was a fool for falling for that. But yet, God said, at least you listened to me. See, it's our obedience that he's, it's our obedience he's judging. It's not what other people receive. It's not how other people respond. It's not all those things. It's our obedience. If we look at John's credentials in Luke 1, chapter 8, he says, So the child grew, and he became strong in the spirit, and he was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. Oh, John had manifestations. Even though he was filled, it didn't happen until a certain time. How many times have we given up? because we haven't seen the manifestation. How many times do we give up before we ever reach the point? He grew strong in the spirit, and while the scripture is silent about his life until he came to preaching the kingdom of God and repentance, John came out of the desert with his six guns blazing. He came out of the desert ready to take on the whole entire world. Why? He had spent time in the presence. He was carrying the presence. He was filled with the presence. And as he walked up, he released the presence in such a great way that people were flocking out to the middle of nowhere. He wasn't on a street corner. He didn't have a big sign. People were drawn to where he was. Just like the kings were drawn to find Jesus. People were drawn to where he was. we need to realize is that we're crafted by the Spirit. We were knit together in our mother's womb. God didn't make any junk. He didn't make any failures. He didn't make any mistakes. And He made us. And so when we say those things about ourselves, then we're saying it about God because He's the craftsman. He's the designer. And he crafted us to be the temple of his spirit and to see it manifest. Hmm. Lane will be here next week teaching. He said he has some really crazy stuff to teach for the next two weeks before he starts teaching on the prophetic. And you know, he was laid off, so he hasn't been working, so he's had a whole lot more time. And so I think in some of those heavenly visitation that he flies up in all the time, getting his frequent flyer miles. Don't hurt your son. Goes home and tells his dad, I got a black eye. Mom got excited. (laughs) 
need to get her those big fluffy yarn hand things so she doesn't beat her child. <laughs> Lord, I just thank you for who you made each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you for the greatness that you put within us. And Lord, I just pray that we walk out that greatness, that we no longer let things hinder us that have held us back, that we would no longer believe the lies that have been spoken about us, been spoken to us, that have been subconsciously that have been physically spoken to us or spoken about us. And Lord, that we would leave this room tonight changed from glory to glory. We would leave this room tonight knowing that we were fearfully and wonderfully, one at a time, made in your image and made for such a day as this. And Lord, may we rise up and may we let the Spirit of God that you put within us, may we let Holy Spirit run free out of us. And Lord, may we change all those around us that you want us to change. May we just see you come in such great might and such great power, Lord. I just pray that you would let our carnal mind, our physical, natural mind be put to rest and may your supernatural understanding just be given there that we see things that happen and we don't have to question why or what. We can just say we know this is you because that's the only way it could happen. Change us, Lord. Change us from the inside out. Amen.